chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to begin to read at verse 21, and we're going to read through verse 35. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Again, this is the word of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Amen. This is God's holy word. Whoever suggested, and there have been some, that Mark is an undisciplined writer of the gospel, fails to understand the precision and the pattern that Mark would write with. Having shown that Jesus has authority over the worst of physical nature, psychological demons, he advances his case to an encounter with an incurable disease, and as we saw last week, that tragic death. Interweaving the stories of the woman with the issue of blood and Jarius, whose daughter had died, shows Mark's skill in writing. Of course, it was given to him by the Holy Spirit. But Mark attests a time and time and time again to the authority of one person. His name, Jesus Christ. And Mark attests this authority of Jesus over the ravages of sin and upon physical nature itself. 
As with the storm at the sea, with that demon-possessed man, the drama continues to unfold very, very rapidly. And here we see this morning it unfolds with again sickness. And what occurs in verses 24 through 43 cannot be fully appreciated apart from the urgency of the situation and something else. The laws concerning ceremonial uncleanness. If you're anything like me, and you get your Bible plan at the beginning of the year, there's a few books of the Bible that you struggle to get your way through. One of them, I'm sure, is the book of Leviticus. And yet the book of Leviticus is one of the, the most important books to read, to read commentators on, to listen to sermons on why Because the things that we read in the Gospels, the things that are contained in there, sometimes take us back to those ceremonial uncleanness that are written off in the book of Leviticus. And here is one. Perhaps last night or even this morning you opened your Bibles and you read what we're about to open this morning. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but... Did you think of the book of Leviticus as you did so? Some are nodding. Good. But it's very important. The Bible tells us that all Scripture, all Scripture, even the books of the Bible that are hard to read, are given to us. And they're given to us to help us in learning these things. You see, in the lesson that we learned this morning... Christ is magnified above all else. Jesus, we read off, is not busy in one task to stop and to help someone else who is hurting. Especially, especially one who is determined, one who is humble, and hopefully one who has faith in him. Today, this morning... I want us to open up and think about this woman with this disease. This portion of scripture is kind of like a parenthesis in action. Jesus is on his way to healing Jairus' daughter. We thought about this last week. And we took Jairus and we looked at that lesson. And then we missed out this lady and what her story was. But yet here we have in the middle of Jairus this woman who comes and who, as it were, interrupts what Christ is about, but she doesn't. He's interrupted and he goes to this woman who comes and who touches the very hem of his garment. But as you read the Word of God, remember that everything that Christ does is in that, that parenthesis in action. Why? Christ's greatest work was that which was done upon the cross. Jesus came into this world to do what? To save sinners. His greatest work was that of the cross. And Jesus came into this world and as he was traveling along, the cross was always in front of him. 
As he went through the world, the cross was always before him. Along the way, there are those who were hurting. Along the way, there were those who needed his help. And along the way, Jesus stops, but his eyes are fixed to Calvary. And as Jesus is journeying this day, he's thronged about by this huge crowd. The people are pressing all around him. But in the midst of there, in the midst of that huge crowd, there is this weak, timid, dying woman who reached out and touched Christ. And when she did, Mark, I love him for it, uses that word immediately. This morning, as I look out, there are those that sit in those chairs. You're weak. You're timid. Those who are hurting. But there's also that last grip. All who are dying. This morning, believer, do you need to come to Christ? Unsaved person, do you need to come to Christ too? This morning I want to open up this passage under three headings. There are three H's. I'm not trying to alliterate, it's just how it worked out. But we have the horror she endured, the hope she embraced, and the healing she experienced. You children who are taking notes, horror, hope, healing. So first of all, the horror she endured. We are told there in verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Not to get too graphic, but this means that she was hemorrhaging or bleeding from certain parts of her body. This word, that, that, that word that's issue of blood. There was a woman who had a discharge or issue as the New King James or King James Version puts it. It means she had a flow of blood continually. This woman was a sick woman. That constant flow of blood such as this would have caused this woman untold suffering. What might they have been? Well, she had suffered physically. Think of those who have, even in our day, this, these conditions. She would have been weak. She would have been anemic. She would have been, as we would say in Ireland, ash white in her face. She would have had no color. She would have had no energy. The very least of efforts would have worn her out. She would have been a weak, pathetic creature. Some have said that this woman may even have had like a plague. And that, that, that word translated plague is a whip. The trouble that she had was like being scourged constantly. And it was beating her down day by day. We're told that she had tried all the remedies of the physicians of her day. And that she had suffered 
She had suffered under their care. Why? Because they weren't even doctors at all. They were a bunch of quacks trying to get one superstitious remedy to her after another to do what? To take all her money. She'd suffered physically. But she also suffered socially. This woman couldn't be married. Because through physical contact, she would have defiled her husband. She couldn't work around others because of this danger of defilement. And this reduced her to a life of begging scraps of food. Not as normal people would beg. We read of that in, in, in the Gospels where those that were beside the road know this woman had to be way behind that. It was as if this woman had to beg off the beggars. Her condition left her on the very fringes of society. She'd suffered emotionally. The Bible tells us that she'd been this way for 12 years. Remember the days that we read of these things in. The lifespan was not of those in our days with, with modern medicine. No. It's safe to assume that she'd probably been this way since just after puberty and she had lived her life moving from what? One rejection to another. She's lonely. She's isolated. She's desperate. She'd suffered financially. The Bible tells us that she had spent all she had. These doctors and their useless remedies had not helped her one little bit. The only thing that they'd help her do was to drain her bank account. She's penniless. She's destitute. But worst of all, she'd suffered religiously. In the book of Leviticus 15, it tells us, that this woman was to be considered unclean. Anything, anything or anyone that she touched was to be considered unclean. She couldn't mingle with people. She couldn't mingle with anyone in public. Far less could she even go to the temple because there it was even worse. Think about it. This woman had not been at church for 12 years, nor was able to go. Do you get the picture of this woman? One verse, and yet so much to ponder. After all the years, after all the doctors, all the times that she'd hoped that this remedy would work and that remedy would work for her, She's come to that realization that she's living, as it were, under a death sentence. It tells us that she grew worse. She's not going to get better. What she has will indeed kill her. Her life is literally draining out of her body day by day. And no doubt this woman had just about given up.
Is there anyone here that can identify with her this morning? You maybe don't have her illness. But perhaps this morning you're filled with suffering and sorrow. Perhaps you're walking through that valley of the shadow of death. Perhaps this morning trials and temptations are much about. See, this woman paints a very clear picture of every person who does not know Christ as their Savior. If you're sitting here this morning and the Lord Jesus Christ means nothing to you, then you, my friend, have a disease. The worst disease known to man. Worse than even this woman suffered. It's a disease that you inherited. It's a disease that has been passed down to you from Adam all the way in the garden. And that disease is sin. This condition that has plagued the lost person since he or she was conceived in the womb. You don't come out good and then suddenly become bad. It's a condition made no better despite all the efforts of the sinner. Just like this woman, they will spend their youth and even their entire life saving searching for meaning. They will try, as it were, to use the things of this world to appease that which they need to go and do. Instead of getting any better, what do they do? They get worse. Their hearts get harder. They get more deeply rooted in their sins and all the efforts at self-improvement and fake religion will not help your condition. This woman that we've read of indeed was in a bad and a very sad shape, but she is nothing even close to being of those who have not been saved by grace this morning. I urge you this morning, do you know how you stand before God? You have a disease. A disease that will take you to hell. This morning there is a remedy. This morning there is one who has paid the price for you. There is one who has bled and who has died. His name is Christ. I urge you this morning. Think upon these things. We sung this morning even as believers to ponder anew what the Lord has done for us. This morning, for some of you who've sat in here for years, ponder anew. Think upon these things again. The Bible tells us, the Word of God, these are not my words. If they were, I don't think I could say them. But they're the word of God. 
do nothing, remain in your sin, and you will go to hell. Christ is your only hope. Christ is your only hope. The wages of sin is death. Not death when you take a heart attack and die in this world. But an eternal death. So she pictures those who know not Christ. But this picture of this woman also is for those who are believers. Those who are laboring under a heavy burden. Many of God's children are discouraged and if they're being honest this morning would say that at times they feel defeated. Hope. Hope this morning in Christ. Keep listening to this sermon and keep reading your, your Bible because where this woman got the help is where you too will get that help. His name is Christ. And so the, secondly this morning, let's look at the hope that she embraced. Because somewhere and from some source, this poor woman heard about Jesus. The Bible tells us that. Verse 27, it says, She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him. Perhaps she'd heard of that healing of the leper in Mark chapter 1. Maybe she'd heard about that wild man just across the lake. Or maybe some other poor soul who had lived in the fringes of society had been healed and been, been made well and they came back and they were faithful to tell them of Jesus. No doubt she had heard that there was power in him. But she remembered those laws from Leviticus. She didn't want to touch him. She wanted to... She didn't want him to touch her, but she wanted to touch him. Perhaps she'd heard of that, what we read often, look, that other person who had touched Christ and been healed. But regardless of what she had heard, she knew. She knew that she had to get to him. She had come to the realization that Jesus Christ was her only hope. She had tried everything else. There wasn't one more thing for this woman to try but Christ. She believed with all of her heart that if she could get to him, she could and would be healed. Think of her. She had to be determined. She had to have demonstrated great courage by approaching Jesus in that crowd. You see, so quickly we read over these things. Remember her. Remember that verse. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She's weak. She's anemic. She also remembers those Levitical laws and she knows that as she elbows her way through the crowd that she is causing ceremonial defilement for everyone she touched. This woman was taking a great risk. 
Think about it. Perhaps she had a cloak over her with a, with a hood up. Imagine if it had a fell down and someone realized who she was. Public humiliation, ridicule, possibly even retribution. Think of those days when everyone was so quick to grab a stone and throw it at someone. But for her, even in the midst of all this suffering and, and heartache and everything that was going with it, she knew that this was something she had to do. She had to get to him. She had to be determined by the very nature of her disease. All her energies would have been needed to drag herself out of bed, as it were, that morning, to struggle her way through to the crowd. This woman was desperate. This morning, are you? Have you reached that place in your life yet where you realize that Christ indeed is your only hope? Friend, if you're in this building and you're lost this morning, you need to get to Christ urgently. He is the only source for salvation for you. Do not delay. Do not wait another day. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. I ask you, if you're not and you keep putting it off, why? This woman had tried everything and realized that Christ was her only hope. You see, there are others even in this room this morning who are believers. Those who are burdened and feel defeated. Man will fail you. But Christ will not. We need to come to that realization that Jesus is the only person who can help us. Throughout all of life's trials. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I love this verse. Let us then with confidence. Don't pussyfoot around. Don't wait another day. Confidently draw near to the throne of Christ. Confidently come, even when the tears are streaming down your face, when, as it were, you're crying unto God, why draw near? Come to him. Come to that throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Are you needing this morning? then don't come to me. Come to Christ. Don't go to your social media page to help you with struggles. Go to the throne of grace. 
Don't go to your friends and, as it were, lay everything before them and expect them to do anything with it. No, draw confidently to the throne of grace. Get on your knees and pray. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Just like he cared for this woman, he cares for you this morning. I ask you, why would you carry that burden one more step? Why would you try to fight a battle every day for even one more minute by yourself? Why would you live defeated one more day? You do not have to. Get to Christ. Get to the one, the only one who can help you. Confidently draw near to Christ. Because in him you will find rest. It may not be in this life. There are some even in this room who are struggling with lifelong sickness and illness. There are some who will take it to their very grave. Eternity awaits. Eternity awaits where we get to be with our great Savior. Where there is no more sickness. Where there is no more illness. Where there is no more tears. But while we're here, while we're struggling, while at times the trials, it seems, are, as it were, coming in over the top of us and we wonder what to do, confidently draw near to the throne of grace. Come to Christ, sinner and saint. He is your only hope. Because thirdly, let's look at the healing this woman experienced. When she was near enough to him, she reached out that trembling hand and she touched his garment. That word touched in the old language means to cling. It doesn't mean she put out a little timid finger and touched. It was as if she grasped and she gripped the very hem of Christ's garment. She adhered to him. She held on to him until she got what she was after. It says immediately. The doctors had tried for years. Their costly remedies couldn't give her what she needed. But instantly when she grasped the hem of Christ's garment, she was different. As soon as she touches him, Jesus knows what had happened he already knew what was going to happen. But he knows that that virtue that the old language would say has gone out of him. That word means power. That's that word that we get our dynamite, our dynamic from. He knows that something has happened. In verse 30 he says, Who touched my garments? There were many who were touching. It was a large crowd. 
but only one had touched him and grasped him with faith that day. When Jesus spoke to this woman, you'll notice that she fell before him in fear. She was afraid of rejection. She was in fear of what might happen, but she need not have feared that. Christ was not going to humiliate her. He wasn't interested in driving her away. He wasn't interested in preaching to her, to her a sermon of uncleanness from the law. He was merely interested in helping her with her problem. Jesus indeed got that response from her that he wanted and anticipated. She bowed at his feet. She confessed everything to him. That was her public acknowledgement of what had happened in her heart. She was different and indeed she was not ashamed to tell others about it. At that very moment, it was as if the crowd did not even exist. It was as if it was just Jesus and this woman. To him, she and her need were more important than anything else. Remember where he's going. He's on his way to help that little girl, and yet he stops. He stops. This woman, cast out, uncared for, unwanted, rejected by men, had caught the eye of God because she expressed simple childlike faith. Is it not us this morning? Before God, what a blessing. A God who controls the path of every atom. Children, when you struggle in your science, as we were reminded as men yesterday, remember who controls every atom, every molecule, everything in this universe is controlled by God. Never for one second, dear saint, ever think that God doesn't care for you. Don't ever think, sinner, that Christ won't receive you. You see, Christ became flesh. God became a man so that he could do what? What we said at the beginning, have his eyes fixed upon the cross. To save sinners like us. You see, his words, Christ's words, confirmed what she already knew had happened. He calls her daughter. This is one of the most precious verses in all of the Bible. This woman is in a different relationship with God. This woman had got more than physical healing that day. All her life she'd been that outcast. She'd been a nobody, dwelling in isolation in loneliness, but now she hears that she's been taken in by God. She has been adopted by God. We are sons and daughters of the living God. 
Are we thankful for it? Are we thankful that indeed we can cry on to Abba, Father, a good and a faithful God? Christ tells her to go in peace. His words to her let her know that she had done the right thing in coming and, and grasping and holding on to that hem of his garment. Any other man would have been offended and been angered and had this diseased woman who had intentionally touched him, but not Christ. Christ was not afraid of ceremonial defilement. It could not touch him. He knew that this woman was in trouble. This woman had done everything she could to get to him. She had faith that we would say the size of a mustard seed and he cared for her. Christ didn't ask her for any money. Without money, she came. And what he did for her that day, he did freely and willingly out of love and grace. What a God we serve. This woman's life would never be the same again. Her battle with this dreaded disease was forever finished, but her bigger battle that she had of sin was also gone. It didn't come from just touching her clothes, touching his clothes. It came from the very hand of God. But isn't that the same for us who are believers this morning? We come in saving faith. But we get more than we even bargain for. We get deliverance from the penalty of sin and the wrath of God. Dear saint, it has been paid in full for you. Jesus has paid it all. All to him I owe. This morning we are children of God. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. We discover that we have a promise. And a promise that is heaven and home. John 14, 1 through 3. We discover that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 17. We discover that our direction and our desires of life should and must be changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We discover that we are free from the power of sin to control and dominate us in Romans 6.14 We discover that we are no longer enemies with God but that we have been reconciled to Him. Ephesians 2.12-19 We discover that all this took place by what? By grace through faith. It costs us nothing. We discover that our efforts are, are in vain if we try to do things without the help of Christ. We discover that we have been fully, fully and finally forgiven of sin and transgressions. Psalm 103, Isaiah 38, Jeremiah 50, Micah 7. 1 John 1. Not my words, but God's word. 
The believer has every confirmation from the word of God and from the circumstances of life to ensure that believing in Christ is the best thing to happen to you. But do you believe that this morning? Christ has paid it all for us. And yet what will we do for him? We may be sitting here this morning and we are a believer and our life is anything but whole today. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. In that crowd that day, there were dozens of people. Physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. But only one lady got any help. Dozens touched Jesus, but only one was transformed. Why? Because only one saw him as her only source. She believed he could help her, and she did whatever she could to grasp and hold on to him. This morning, I urge you, don't be one of those who brush up against Christ again this morning. And you leave through those doors unchanged. You can come without money. You can come not in your own merit, but in his. You can come as this woman did, humbly before a God and cry out, Lord, what must I do to be saved? You young people especially, I heard you. Your parents are faithful to you and teaching you. But head knowledge does not get you to heaven. We need to know Christ as our Savior. We need to live for him. If you need help this morning, come. Come. There are no records for us that Tell us the specific events that inspired our closing hymn. But yet 579 doesn't really need specifics, does it? Because in it, as we sing, we all experience the kind of devastating loss and the devastating trials that Katerina writes about in our final hymn. When these trials come, we often find ourselves enduring that hurricane of disoriented grief, of worry, of wondering. And we know we need that desperate need of a peaceful shelter, of hope, of hope that comes from the touch of a Savior. This hymn that is given to us in the four verses we have, but there's actually six, is that reminder of the shelter from our sorrows, from the storms that enrage against us. And what is it? It's the faithfulness of a good God. 
She begins in verse 1 by reminding us of the unshakable foundation on which we stand. Christian, we stand on an unshakable foundation. She writes these words, Be still my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, in every change, he faithful will remain. Be still my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Though thorny ways leads to a joyful end. The first line of our hymn is a near direct quote of Psalm 118. You all know I love Psalm 119 at the moment. There is Psalm 118. It's the very one before it. And it reminds us. And I think the psalmist and the Holy Spirit were so kind to us, even in the very order that the psalms are written, to remind us that, yes, God's word is where we go, but we're reminded that as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death with trials and tribulations, the psalmist says in Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. Are we fearful this morning? As a believer, the Lord is on your side. But why we have any right as Christians, why we have any, have the audacity to claim that even this is true for us, we're reminded in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Lord is on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? His own son was given for us. And in the swirl of grief, in the swirl of trials, we may wonder all things. God didn't spare his own son from death for no reason. It was to save people like you and me. And all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is your hope this morning, Christian. If you are found in him, truly found in him, nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. Believe it. Soul, be at peace. Your faithful Lord is on your side.
Some are in deep, deep valleys this morning. Others are on mountaintops. But no matter where you are, be reminded, dear saint, to be at peace. Why? Because the Lord, the Lord is on your side. He will lead you through this valley of deep darkness. He will even lead you through the mountaintops where? To the eternally sunlit, joyful land of everlasting love. Heaven. Dear saint, this morning, be at peace. Have hope. Have reassurance. Be reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus. And as, these, as the world brings trials, those parentheses have your eyes fixed towards eternity and that of heaven and home. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commend your holy presence and we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you even for this lady and her disease and yet the power that you are able to heal her not only of that but to save her soul. Lord, this morning we ask that many as it were would grip on to the hem of that garment. We even cry on for those who are not sitting here who have heard the gospel message time and time again, both at home and at church. Lord, we ask that you would show mercy in these days. We pray for us as believers. Encourage our hearts. Even through your word this morning, through the holy pages of scripture that we've been able to bring forth and to show us that indeed we are adopted by the righteousness of Christ. Lord, if we are believers, we are sons and daughters. Remind us of these things in these days. Even when trials and tribulations come and those waves would, as it were, crash over the top of us, even help us to think of our great God, the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us, the one who walks alongside us. Even when we get older and the way, as it were, gets more difficult and harder, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would give grace, that you indeed give that perseverance of the saints to the very end, and that those of us who are your children would have heaven fixed in our gaze, that the things of this world would help us, would shape us, and that we would look to heaven our eternal home, where indeed there will be forever love and rest with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, encourage our hearts even as we leave. Give us times of fellowship with one another. Even give us times of rest this afternoon to be able to come back again this evening to worship and praise you. And as we do, O oh Lord, keep us safe in all that we do. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.